0: Hey, welcome to the podcast of the Kelly Cutrera Show for Monday, January 25th. We have a Super Bowl on February the 7th between the Buccaneers and the Chiefs. One thing that you will be missing will be a Budweiser ad. What's up? None of that this year. We'll tell you why coming up with a brand expert, Mike Leon. And we'll also touch on the executive order that Joe Biden will sign today. It's Buy American. Where does that leave us? That's coming up. But first, Chris Creston, confirm or deny? Did I not send you an article with with the title of uh, subject matter? This is getting ridiculous.
1: You did indeed, and I thought, what, what, what is it now? What's ridiculous this time?
0: It's the fourth Canadian-bound flight with COVID impacting all rows. This is another flight going from Haiti to Montreal, and you know, I get it that. They don't have the ability to do the PCR testing that we require. If you're going to get on a flight to Canada, you have to have 72 hour negative PCR test, Uh, but they don't have the ability. So we're just waiving that guideline, waiving that requirement when it comes to flights out of Haiti. And I don't think it's a very good idea. Uh, It doesn't seem fair. It seems unusual and things might change very soon. Uh, Trudeau, on Friday, on this very show, we, we carried this press conference live. He uh, basically reiterated, now's not the time to travel. Have a listen.
2: No one should be taking a vacation abroad right now. If you've got one planned, cancel it. And don't book a trip for spring break. It's obvious we should avoid trips south and out of the country. But remember, across the country, people are being told to stay home. So if you were thinking of traveling across the country for spring break, now's
0: not the time. Yeah, the problem is we don't really have a definition of non-essential travel. And I do know that the government can uh, take certain measures to keep us in the country and keep us from leaving the country. But I think that's as far as Justin Trudeau wants to go right now is by just telling us, cancel the trip, because we're going to listen to uh, Daddy Goodlocks there. I I just named him because he... Had good hair at one time. That's what we were all talking about before the plague. Uh, Here to talk about the possibility of some changing rules, Marty Firestone. He is the president of Travel Secure, travel and insurance specialist. Welcome to the show, Marty. Good to have you on again.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: So uh, Trudeau is warning people uh, not to travel at all. He's saying now's not the time for spring break. Well, okay, because it's January. We're not at spring break yet. But, okay, I'm getting a bit ahead of myself. He says just cancel any winter travel. He's And the rules could change at any time. What do you know about the possibility of a rule change? Because we are hearing some rumblings, and you're in the know.
3: Yeah, I suspect in the next couple of days that there is going to be some Something dropped. Another shoe is going to drop here with respect to I mean, as far as the Emergency Measure Act to to banning flights coming in and going out to just picking certain destinations that that falls into or a total closed border, whatever it is, he can't just be keep on saying I'm going to do something. I think he's got to do something.
0: Yeah. The Federal Emergencies Act. Have you ever as a travel agent heard this uh, being invoked before?
3: Never, never, never. There was a clause in all the policy back in March. If a, if Canada were to call a level three travel advisory, that would invoke a whole bunch of scenarios with respect to COVID-19. But that was about as close as it got. Never has there been anything to this extent, if in fact, even should call it.
0: Marty, to the best of your knowledge, why is the government kind of uh, hesitant to, to actually invoke this emergency act? What would it mean?
3: Well, constitutionally, and I'm no expert in that area, but I I happen happen to think if you've got Canadians abroad and you aren't letting them come back to their own country, that's that's a big problem right there. So that's what more or less could happen if he, in fact, closes the border. And that's going to open up a whole can of worms of people who are out of the country. Their insurance is coming to an end. They have to get an extension on it. And what are they going to do? So it would be incredibly problematic if he ever went ahead and did that.
0: Just say, hey, you might be stuck where you are right now if you're not happy with it, or if you're planning on going somewhere you don't want to spend a lot of t- extra time. Uh, you know, why not say it in uncertain terms? Why just say, oh, things could change at any time? It seems really wishy washy.
3: It does. It's not exactly the strongest. But either was the fact that you couldn't drive over the border, but you could fly over. So, you know, he talks about March break, people not going away. There's snowbirds going away every day this week to go down to Florida to get the vaccine. Like they should be included also in that and say, don't go away. And if you do, and then you call us and say we can't get back to Canada, he'll say, I told you so.
0: Yeah, but they're already saying they're not going to repatriate people, right? Like You have to find your own way to get back in. And if you can't, we're not sending flights for you
3: yeah it's that that's where the problem lay and then you can have people there that uh that that don't have insurance and then if they just have what anybody could have on any given year a heart attack stroke break a hip and the hospitals are filled to capacity this is just this all the makings of a of a nightmare
0: so you're finding a lot of calls coming to you we talked to you last uh i don't know it's like about a month ago marty now it seems so long ago all the days are kind yeah, of blending they- into each other um but when we last spoke you were talking about the fact that you had a lot of snowbirds calling you asking about this uh, travel tourism a uh, vaccine tourism rather and going down to florida and getting vaccinated and you were still advising them not to go um you just said you're getting a lot of snowbirds flying down there how many people are listening to you now are, you, are is your message falling on deaf ears when even though you're a travel expert
3: yeah, my message has fallen on deaf ears since November. And okay. well over 30% of the people say, I'm going, I'm going to bubble down there instead of bubble up here. Now, though, the calls are coming, and I think they're most interesting. They're most concerned about saying, what's he capable of doing? Is there a chance I could go away today, but I can't get back, you know, in April? And, and that's the hesitancy now to make them think, maybe I shouldn't go.
0: When we hear about this fourth Canadian-bound flight with COVID impacting all rows. Are you reminding people that this could be a reality when they return from wherever it is they're coming, that they actually could be coming back on a COVID positive flight and they're opening them, themselves up to risk, not only, you know, during the vacation, but when they're headed home?
3: Yeah. Keep in mind where that one went off the rails was the fact that they didn't have PCR tests available. So they gave them till January the 11th or whatever the date was. So they did. Yeah, I think even, it was the 21st. Right. 21st instead of January 7th, like everybody else. This should get caught at that level if you have the test and have to prove negative. This would never have happened if they had enforced that, that issue at that point. So let's assume everybody's now getting the negative test to come in. And by the way, they need negative tests to go out. It's really become very difficult to travel now. You have negative tests going out. You have negative tests coming in. And in between that, some of them are trying to get the vaccine, yet they're going to have 14-day quarantine periods on both sides of the border now.
0: Marty, do you think that the government is uh, being lazy when it comes to imposing rules on, on um, airlines kind of trying to incentivize going south?
3: They should definitely have shut that down way back when when airlines started offering free COVID-19 travel insurance, when they heard they were paying influencers. That was the place to start. You have to stop the airlines from enticing people to travel and de-incentivize them, if that's even the right word. And they didn't do that at all.
0: Marty, uh, your advice to people that are, you know, still on the fence here when it comes to messaging. I mean, you obviously follow travel advisories very carefully, carefully when you hear Foreign Affairs Minister Mark Garneau say that the federal government won't rule out uh, invoking the Federal Emergencies Act, which gives the cabinet the power to regulate or prohibit travel to... Uh, from or within any specified area where necessary for the protection and health or safety of uh, individuals. When you hear that he's saying that, and Justin Trudeau says on a press conference that you should cancel your plans, what's your takeaway and and what's your message to potential travellers?
3: I think now it's serious time. They have to follow up with something, though, in the next couple of days. But I honestly think anybody even venturing to think of leaving today forward going away, they should cancel everything. I believe that in November, but for sure now, because if you leave and then he invokes any of those measures, that's going to be a real problem. So I think you've said you're going to do it, but I think you really have to do it now. So next one, two, three, four days at the longest, they're going to do something for sure. Really?
0: You think four days from now, we'll have a very different uh, outlook on travel as far as Yeah, I
3: think Parliament is being recalled today, and he spoke to all the premiers, he said last Thursday, and I think they... I, w- I would be very surprised if we don't hear from uh, either Bill Blair or, or the prime minister in the next couple of days with with something. I just don't know what the something is. That's the problem.
0: All right, Marty, I guess we got a date four days from now. I'll be there. All right. We'll talk to you then. Thanks. Marty Firestone is uh, president of Travel Secure and uh, travel and insurance specialist. All right. uh, Just a word of warning. Today, President Joe Biden will sign an executive order aimed at promoting Buy America agenda. Now, this shouldn't be a surprise, sort of like the uh, Keystone Pipeline. He mentioned this while he was campaigning last year. That said, I expect that we're going to see a lot of commentary, uh, a lot of headlines about this um, starting today. Stephen Blank will join us. He's our a senior fellow at the University of Ottawa to talk about this right now. Stephen, welcome to the show. Good to have you on.
2: Thank you, Kelly. Delighted to be here.
0: So, Stephen, what do we know about the executive order that Biden, you know, basically campaigned on?
2: This reiterates uh, a, a time-honored uh, Uh, order that has been given out by many presidents trying to uh, uh, increase uh, production in the United States. Nothing new.
0: Okay, so Trump's protectionism is over, but are we moving into a continued era of U.S. protectionism then that's been going on even though we haven't called it that, as you say, nothing new for a while?
2: No. The real issue here is how the Canadian side, the U.S. side, handles uh, complex extended supply chains. There really isn't. I mean, most of the stuff that we deal with in U.S. Canada uh, are are moves along established, integrated supply chains. Uh, It the question of where you know where you say made in America is 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 really a you know this becomes a very theoretical issue. But Mm -hmm. I don't think anything is going to change much between the United States and Canada on this issue at the moment.
0: Okay, at the moment, but it, it, moving forward in the future, what could it mean? Is there, is there a you know we were just talking to the Canadian uh, Mortgage and Housing Corporation, and they were you know running worst case scenarios. Is there a worst case scenario this by American executive order could um, lead to?
2: No, I, I don't really think so. I think the two co- countries will get together better now. I think Mr. Trudeau has a problem with Keystone. That's another issue, but uh, I, I, no. I think both sides are going to be looking for a, a better set of relationships, uh, going back uh, well beyond the Trump era. Uh, I think the thing is to keep the, uh, the longer-range view and the longer-range goal in mind, which is to continue to work together closely. Canada has a big issue coming up here. I mean, that's another set of issues. Uh, the the established industries that we have been so deeply integrated in, with, with automobiles, for example, electronics, uh, the question in my mind is: Can it moving rapidly enough into the 21st century in terms of innovation, and technology, to maintain its role as a, uh, you know, in in these deeply uh, historical bipartisan, uh, by a by bipartisan, bi national relationships? Mm-hmm. That worries me more.
0: We than, have to make ourselves look attractive.
2: Well, the for example, take automobiles. The new world of automobiles is not going to be GM and Ford, the same things that we have done in the past. There will be new suppliers, maybe new producers. Is Canada able now to participate on the same grounds that it has for the past 100 years in the automotive industry? It's not clear to me that that's the case. Uh, So in terms of – there are really bright Canadians doing interesting work in small companies – but does any any of the do any of the Canadian companies at the moment have enough base, enough enough size to participate in what will be a, a really new world uh, of transportation? Uh, that, to me, is the more interesting thing. After years of pressing exports of natural resources, my feeling is that the uh, the past administration uh, really neglected uh, the, the innovation in the you know in traditional manufacturing. And traditional manufacturing is not going to be traditional anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think the real question for Canadians here is, is how do they partic- make sure that they are participating on an equal uh, basis in, in these new industries?
0: Okay, it sounds like you're saying that we need a visionary uh, leading the country. Uh, we clearly don't have that right now. Uh, you know, Trudeau was pinning some hopes on the keystone. I think that could become a bargaining chip for him. But if that's the case, don't we have a bigger hurdle to jump over? And that's convincing people the Canadian public that we need to invest in this sort of technology and move forward, because we've heard a lot of people just blasting Trudeau over the past week over this Keystone falling apart when, you know, he had no control over it any, anyway, because Biden was going to cancel it. I, he campaigned on it. So it shouldn't be yeah, a surprise. Well,
2: Keystone is, I think, for a pretty a meaningless argument. Look, mm-hmm. for the, in the past decade, while Keystone was being negotiated, Canadian, that is, Albertan, exports of petroleum to the United States have expanded significantly. The pipelines from Alberta into the central United States, where the major uh, refineries are for Canadian oil, have grown, expanded. And there's plenty of room now to continue the expansion of Canadian petroleum exports to the United States. Two, we don't need Canadian oil at the moment. I mean, what exactly was the purpose of Keystone? Is it to get Canadian crude, uh, uh, heavy crude, down to the Gulf refineries for what? For export, that's what many of us think the major interest was. That's a strong Canadian interest, which I understand, but it really doesn't. The, the, the interest on the U.S. side is minimal, and it's easy for the U.S. president to play to the environmental interests here, cancel it, and and it doesn't. We it, it doesn't hurt us at all. Uh, so I think you know, for Canadians, I would have said 10 years ago, we are expanding our petroleum imports. U.S. We are our largest largest foreign supplier, uh, and and downplay Keystone, but that didn't happen, mm. and therefore it, 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 it is an issue. But I think that's that really that's old world now. The question for Canadians is how do we make sure that we are in the 21st century, at the forefront of innovation in the new in in, in, in new industries, able to take an equal role as you have in electronics and, and automotive, aviation in the past. How do we continue to do that uh, in in a n- North American environment? That, I think, is the real issue for Canada.
0: And so without a leader that's, you know, uh, showing us that this is the future, who who is who should be responsible for, you know, changing hearts and minds in Canada when it comes to, you know, our opinions on where we need to go?
2: Oh, dear friend, I have spent the last year living here in New York on my little island worrying about what's <laughs> happening here. Uh, I'm just taking a deep Hoping things are going to be all right. That's, an, that's a question I don't really know. I mean, right. Canadian politics have been almost as screwed up as ours, not quite as miserable. But the, that uncertainty of how you move, move ahead to, to a, a strong, bold leadership moving into the 21st century, away from the natural resource base, uh, and, and that's, you know, that is the issue. I mean, mm-hmm. there it is.
0: Yeah. And in in our situation, and it, it, when you're talking about green initiatives, our government made a mess of the green initiatives. They just, they didn't show a return on investment. And maybe it's not a government that needs to take the lead in it. It's, it's a real, uh, it's the private industry. And they have to kind of hold our hands and show us, hey, this is going to make us money. This is where survival uh, lies.
2: What we've learned dealing with COVID, certainly, and what we've learned going back to the the, the you know the, the thirty good years after world war two is that this we can move ahead rapidly where there is a clear partnership between public sector and private sector where mm. public sector have to clearly enunciate goals has to provide significant access to resources and then the, the, the public sector the private sector moves into that i don't think it's a one or the other i think we're leaving the arrow of saying the worst thing you can say in the world is that government will will help This has to be a very strong, collaborative arrangement uh, in which uh, government helps set goals—not on it, you know—in consultation, cooperation with private sector, but where there's a where there's a a clear sense of collaboration. This is—you have to think of almost a wartime mentality uh, of 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 of, uh, developing a collaborative, deep collaboration. Uh, on how to do this. And and, it's hard
0: to do that with a lot of mistrust though, isn't it? Like there's a lot, there's a, we're at the, you know, in you in the States, you're dealing with mistrust of government, but I think a lot of Canadians feel the same way. They just don't express it as, as you know, loudly uh, that they, they don't necessarily trust when government get their, gets the involved in things.
2: I think that's true. I think also the, the 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 difficulty Ottawa has always is, collab- is to build a collaborative uh, relationship among all the provinces at the same time. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean that that too, and especially for uh, Alberta, for the midwestern provinces, those are that's going to be very difficult now because the major resource base that they have depended upon will shrink in value on on, on a national and, and continental global basis. That's not going to be easy. Uh, I think there's another thing here too. Uh, uh, I spent a lot of my life teaching in Canadian universities, and all Canadian universities are good, but it's just like you know, second place. Uh, yeah. We we all want to be at almost best, but best is hard to do. We don't have, you don't have entities in Canada it seems like C I T you know or M I T which trains these people. There are terrific entities in parts of uh, uh, in, you know in in, in, Toronto, in, in Ontario uh, of high. Tech innovation, but but again, they're small. They're, we we need to see more collaboration between the private sector, between the universities, between the foundations, and government, to to create a strategy to make sure Canada is in the, in the 21st century. And uh, no, I'm not sure which party, if, if any, at this moment, where there is such uncertainty as to what everyone's doing. But you know, that's not Canada's the problem alone. Look at England. Look at France. Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly the United States. How do you do this? Uh, we we can see the task ahead of us, but it's really not clear how how we're doing it. And, and I think the uh, the response to the coronavirus is is a very good example. None of us are doing it very well.
0: Does Canada need another research in motion? Do you think?
2: Well, again, I, I'm really not sure that that's that it need. <laughs> Oh, Kelly, I'm, 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 you know, I'm <laughs> not sure on this. I, uh, I'm not there as much as I've been in the past. Yeah. And I, I really, I. I
0: That's fine. You know, I, listen, written, I, I'd, I'd rather guess say, I guest say I'm, I'm not sure on that than, you know, just make something up. Because at the end of the day, it's just a conversation between us. And we're just trying to make sense of what's going on in the world. And I think you've done a really great job illustrating that we need to get a plan together. You know, that's 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 really what this pandemic on so many different levels is illustrating that we are just being caught completely unaware, like the pants are down and the doorbells ringing and we're sitting, you know, wearing in a a compromising position. And we all have to start thinking ahead instead of, you know, focus on focusing on where we've been, but thinking on, you know, not just the present, but but where we go in the future. And you're really pointing out that this pandemic has caught us. Kelly,
2: I'll tell you, and I, on this one, uh, who has done well in this? I mean, can a broadly based popular populist democracy like, you know, participation of democracy like Canada, like the United States, like deal with these issues? China does very well, it seems to me. Mm. I, I, that's a really terrifying prospect. Uh, when these kinds of issues like dealing with coronavirus become so Politicized as they have in the United States and, and and in Canada too. Uh, how do you come, move forward? How do you move forward from a resource based economy to a science based economy uh, in term when you have a you know highly participationist, highly active democracy? I mean, the whole issue of how one governs in this situation is you know wildly open. I mean, to me, it's. As an old guy in this, it's, it, that to me is the most frightening issue. The possibilities for innovation, the possibilities for, uh, are enormous, and there's no shortage of money in the world today. Mm-hmm. But yeah. how do you mobilize opinion to su- support opinion, you know, su- support uh, uh, to do this? And there I, I, I'm not sure. I, I really don't know. To me, it's, that's the big, big question.
0: So Again. basically, to bring it back to where we started, Stephen, this "by American Executive Order is really nothing for us to be worried about as Canadians. It's really, I mean, that whole idea of just the, the title of it, "by American, the Executive Order, really is just trying to to uh, ease Americans' minds. That's right.
2: This is not, a, don't get your knickers and knots over this. <laughs> uh, the real question is how we move together f- how we move forward together and that's what we should keeping our, our eye on okay
0: steven thank you very much i appreciate your time and stay safe in new york
2: kelly thank you very much for inviting me i was delighted
0: super bowl is set for february the 7th i believe is going to be the buccaneers and the chiefs playing in the super bowl it's first time by the way that a host city is going to have their own team playing in the Super Bowl. That's going to be huge, sort of. Uh, I mean, the fans are not are going to be like a third of the size that are normally allowed in um, during the Super Bowl to check it out. Um, and the Super Bowl is the most popular sports event, aside from the World Cup, on the globe, right? So a lot of people, like myself included, watch it for the ads. If I were to say Budweiser to you, what ad springs to mind? Is it, what's that? probably could be the Bullfrogs, the chirping Budweiser could be any number of the Clydesdale ads, but I think what's that is the one that stuck with us the most and that we're still saying and I think everybody um, looks and immediately thinks that's the bud ad. Budweiser, for the first time since 1983 is not going to be advertising during the Super Bowl. Here to talk about it, Mike Leon, president of Brand Heroes marketing, um this is an interesting move mike it's not a full-on you know uh the company's pulling all its advertising dollars but they are putting it to good instead they are donating the money that would have been spent on a budweiser ad to the coronavirus vaccination awareness efforts what do you know about this
1: well you know what kelly it's it's not just bud that's doing this lots of brands are actually pulling their ad spend this year um hyende ford coke um the avocados from mexico and i think you know the prevailing aspect with it really is like the super bowl like you said has always been like a go big or go home kind of event for advertisers and you know with everybody home it almost feels like it's in bad taste to go big so i think mm. that's primarily the big thing that you're seeing this is a game of optics and i think it just doesn't feel like it's hitting the right tone to spend a ton of cash on ads when people are really struggling to make ends meet
0: but you know you mentioned coke and audi and avocados from mexico they're sitting at the game altogether and the reason as you said is either you uh do something that could be taken as uh callous Or you do something that is too somber and there's a risk of turning people off. But this is like Bud is taking a different approach. They're donating money to spend on Corona vaccination awareness efforts because, you know, we want to they want to get herd immunity as we do. Um, Is that also can we look at this with kind of a sinister this is going to be a goodwill situation where they get a lot of people talking about Bud?
1: Well, you know what? I mean, I think it's it's always funny to, to talk about that because I agree, too. There's always this sort of underlying like point of like, you know, are they really trying to do something good or are they just coming up with another way to get to us? But, you know, I think what makes a lot of sense in this case is, you know, Bud has always been a brand that really wants to get people where they are, where they are right now, where their headspace is. And, you know, right now, everybody's headspace is, is all about trying to beat the coronavirus. So I think, you know, trying to put it towards these efforts really speaks to the brand being where their consumers are. It shows that they want to be in the trenches with them. It shows that they care about what not just their their buyers care about, but what their employees care about. So I think on that level, it makes a ton of sense. Now, are people potentially cynical towards it and could they see through it? Of course they can, but I think what Bud has that some brands don't have is a long-lasting history of being there. And, you know, Ford's another brand that does as well, too. So I think it is a little bit more believable for those brands to pivot in this way.
0: You know, the brands do their own market research. I have to wonder if Bud drinkers are largely uh, vaccine-hesitant in the States and if they have some way of knowing that. And they're thinking, you know what, we have to target our message at our audience because, A kind of want your audience to be there after the pandemic. So being vaccinated, probably a good plan. And B, they they might be in the know uh where, you know, we just don't have that information at our fingertips.
1: Well you know what, Kelly, it's amazing how much information brands have about their consumers. And you know, you can thank social media for a lot of that, right? Because not only can we understand who's posting and when but you know, we can also understand who's saying great things and who's saying not so great things. Mm-hmm. And this gives brands a lot of opportunity to not just listen and understand what's being said, but also be able to show up at those right moments in the conversation to help steer it along. So I think you know, this move from Bud is is a classic example of that. And I think what you're gonna start seeing as well is, is the brand following suit. With very pointed social media activity too, and trying to make sure that consumers know that they're looked after, and they're looked after by Bud.
0: I want to talk about the fact that ads. We already know they're pricey. Uh, the buy-in at Super Bowl. five point five million dollars for thirty seconds at the mm-hmm. uh, at this year's Super Bowl. Apparently, it's not worth it to Coke. This is interesting because they've been hit hard in the second uh, half of this year. Its sales come from. St- I didn't know this, but. Half of their sales come from uh, stadiums, movie theaters, and other usually crowded places. Half of their sales. That's pretty amazing. Uh, so they are pulling out. They're going to put a, a pin in it. But can you talk about the challenges this year that companies were facing when it came to running ads? Like, actually, the fact that they had to shoot under pandemic conditions and like just the hurdles they had to jump over in order to get Super Bowl ads made. Do you know anything about that?
1: Oh yeah. So many hurdles. Well, you know, first of all, I mean, there's the optics hurdle, which we talked about, but you know, is is it going to look good for a brand that's pumping out tons of money in releasing an ad and also creating an ad. And early on in the pandemic, one of the big, big, huge brands to move away from this was A&W. They, you know, they released a spot which had the A&W guy with an ad that was actually shot, I think on his iPhone. So there's the optics factor on that. There also is, like you said, there's incredible hurdles to getting this stuff made. I mean, we do a lot of video production ourselves and just the barriers to be able to do that. It's taking a lot longer. It's costing a lot more money. And I think the question is, too, is, you know, brands have always been looking at what the best way is to connect with people and ads for a long time there's been a question around whether that's necessarily always the right way. And you know, one great example, and this actually predates um, the coronavirus, Kelly, is Skittles decided instead of putting a, a big game ad together last year, they staged a Broadway musical and they did it for a day. And they got so much return from that that it makes me wonder if, if, if they would ever opt to come back to an arena like that. Newcastle, same deal. They couldn't even afford to be in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And they came up with an ad called The Greatest Ad We Never Got to Make. And again, it outperformed most Super Bowl ads. So I think that level brands are finding new ways to connect. And they're actually finding cheaper ways to connect.
0: Okay, well, why then are we seeing, um, I hear at the Super Bowl this year, newcomers like TikTok rival Triller joining the pack and saying, you know what, I'll take uh, Coke's place. I'll buy that ad space.
1: (laughs) Well, you know what, I mean, I think, you know, even though we talk about brands finding alternatives, there is still huge cachet associated with the Super Bowl. And if you're a newer brand, and especially if you're a brand on your way up, and you got a lot to prove, you know, there's always good credence and good credibility in supporting something like the Super Bowl. So I think that brands that have a lot to prove, this makes a ton of sense. And, you know, sometimes it's the gesture, the biggest gesture is saying, hey, we've dropped this much cash. Look at us go. So there is that factor with it too. But I think, you know, you see some established brands that start to really evaluate what they're spending money on and whether it's really giving the best bang for their buck. And they're the ones that are starting to take a backseat. They're the ones that are starting to bow out.
0: Well, Mike, no doubt about it. Even if Coke and Audi and Budweiser are not going to be in full view at this year's Super Bowl, it will be really interesting. We'll still watch the ads to see exactly how people are going to be dealing with the pandemic in their ads and how they find um, some levity without being uh, just callous about what's going on in the States because the death rate is climbing and continues to climb.
1: For sure. Have a great day.
0: I really appreciate your time as always, Mike.
1: Thank you, Kelly. Have a great one.
0: Cheers. Mike Leon, president of Brand Heroes Marketing. This should be an interesting Super Bowl. All right. Thanks so much for tuning into the podcast. Uh, We broadcast live, by the way, Monday through Friday between nine and noon. If you can spare some time, you can tune in 640toronto.com or at 640 Toronto on your radio. Remember that thing? Yeah, we're there too.